Hey guys, it's Carmen Schober with the No Apologies podcast, which is the official podcast of Stasios, bold cultural commentary for curious Christians. If you're interested in more Stasios content, you can find that at www.stasios.net. That's S-T-A-S-E-O-S.net. That also has all the different podcast episodes there as well. One thing I should say before I launch into this is if you enjoy No Apologies, please do go leave us a review. That helps a lot. It helps people find the podcast. So it's a really great way that you can help us. Today, talking to my guest, Tim Dukeman. And I'm really excited about this conversation because Tim and I are going to talk about Marxism, which is something that comes up a lot in Stacio's pieces. I talk about it a lot on the podcast. I've written about it. Tim has a master's in political science with a concentration in political theory, and he also attended the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So he's going to have lots of interesting things to say about Marxism. Hello, Tim. Hello. Tim, I was stalking your Facebook and I saw that you live in Indianapolis. Is that right? Is that up to date? Yeah, I I got here about a year and a half ago now. Um, Oh, okay. So you're kind of new to Indianapolis. Yeah, I, I had been in Louisville. Kentucky, because I was attending uh, Southern there. Okay, okay, gotcha. And do you like Indianapolis? That's actually where I'm from. I lived the first, I was born in Indianapolis and lived there for 12 years before moving to Kansas. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, You're in Kansas now. Okay. Yeah, Um, yeah, I like it a lot. I'm at a really good church here, which makes me happy. And like, it's honestly a a really great church. It's called Clear Note Church. So if you have any listeners in in the upper area, look it up. What's it say? What it's, what's it called again? Clear what? Clear note. Clear like, note. It's one word, but like a clear note. It's based mm-hmm. on the verse in First Corinthians 14, where it says, if the bugle uh, sounds an indistinct sound, who will come to battle? Very cool. Well, yeah, that's good to know, because when we, I was like reflecting on my time in Indianapolis, I became a Christian when I was like really young, but we went to kind of probably, we went to a Methodist church that was very much what like, you know, the liberal mainline type of churches that kind of dominate the American mm-hmm. landscape are today. And that was back in the day. But I still I still somehow became a Christian in one. So that's good. It's good that you yeah. found an actual good one. So yeah, it's amazing how the Lord works. I, uh, I talked to a guy recently, who he got saved by listening. He started lis- uh, listening to Jordan Peterson, who's basically at this point, like an old school 19th century German liberal. Where <laughs> yeah, he, that's true. Like he, he, he very much has like a, myth, a mythological view of the text, like doesn't believe any of the actual theology. Um, so he started with Jordan Peterson and then moved on to like Stephen Furtick. Oh, and, yeah. 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 Like yeah. some of these people who are like way out there and right. I'm like, how? How did you get Stephen even... Furtick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like new agey almost, right? Isn't that kind of Furtick yeah, thing? Yeah. So Stephen Furtick is very much more of a seven habits of highly effective people, eight tips to success. Um, Like he's like, basically, if you if you're looking for a church that is trendy and won't ask you to change your life or believe anything too embarrassing or do anything that might get you in trouble with the liberal people you work with then he's pretty much your man. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. But you said your friend, you knew somebody that they hopped Jordan Peterson to him and then 
became a Christian. And somehow got saved out of that. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's my story in a way. I, I didn't really get really great theological training. I am really the person who really propelled me into wanting to study the Bible a lot was Joyce Meyer, which she's super controversial. <laughs> yep. yep. Joyce Meyer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, when I was 19, discovered Joyce Meyer. I just gotten out of a really terrible relationship and a lot of her stuff is about um, positivity and relationships and you know it's not it's not super theologically deep but she did occasionally yeah. touch on things that I really needed to hear stuff about like forgiveness and um, trusting uh-huh. God over trusting your feelings and things like that and that's kind of honestly what what jump-started me into reading the Bible for myself and huh. so yeah yeah I I I know, I know. But anyways, we gotta we gotta talk about Marxism. So, anywho, yeah. um, there's a lot to cover on Marxism. We'll talk about it more in just like a general sense, and then get into some specific examples, and then really focus our conversation on how Marxism is manifesting and damaging the church. And since you have the political science degrees, I'm gonna let you define the term and the theories surrounding Marxism. Okay, so Marxism is most famous for being an economic theory. Specifically, most people, when they think Marxism, they think Stalinism, where uh, the like the hard, the most hardcore, intense version of communism. The state owns the means of production. The state owns all the money, and they basically pool all the resources and distribute them. And supposedly, in theory, it's supposed to be everyone gets an equal amount. In actuality, it's that people who are in the government live a very high lifestyle and everyone else starves. Right. And that's the, that's what most people think of when they, when they talk about Marxism. Um, But Marxism really is much more of an umbrella term that would include communism, but also includes a lot of other things that are similar to it in, in really important and powerful ways. Um, So things that Marx talks about in his writings are the oppressed versus the oppressor dichotomy. So he divides up the workers who are the proletariats versus the um, basically the factory owners in, in his in his terminology uh, that he would call it the bourgeois and so this this dichotomy is very important and he emphasizes that the workers of the world need to unite together and they need to overthrow the bourgeois and this revolutionary element is also a crucial element of of Marxism and so it, on an economic level, the economic Marxism is practiced by doing literal coup d'etats where you overthrow the government and you take over and you pool all the resources and redistribute the wealth. But in, in other kinds of Marxism, the, the revolutionary element is by taking established systems and hierarchies and tearing them down. One, one famous evangelical progressive recently said that uh, we should be tearing down all the hierarchies. And so what, what the... What this revolu- how this revolutionary element plays out is that you see most commonly today it's in protests against established hierarchies. They're very skeptical towards any hierarchy. They assume that it must be oppression rather than being based in competence or there being a legitimacy to that hierarchy existing. Um, basically, the unstated assumption of Marxism is that there should be equity. Not that everyone should be treated equally before the law, but that everyone should have the same outcome. And if you don't have the same outcome, then somebody along the line must be hoarding or they must be oppressing or they must be stealing from the other people. 
Another crucial element of Marxism is class consciousness. Uh, we saw this recently, yesterday, actually. Uh, Joe Biden told oh, right. <laughs> a whole bunch of people that if you don't vote for him, you're not black. You ain't and black. It, it, that, it's a very... Uh, it's a naked appeal to class consciousness in, in the in the critical race theory tradition. So Marx, in in his writings, he was speaking in economic terms. So he would he would talk about the the workers need to have a class consciousness, and he would even talk about a false consciousness that the, they could be basically propagandized by the bourgeois um, into acting against their own interests. And that's basically exactly what Biden is saying when he says that you're not black if you are voting for Trump because that that he's basically doing Marxist false consciousness. He's just doing it in the area of race, not the area of economics. That's and um, the last one is the redistribution of wealth. This is a, a big key in Marxism. You're supposed to redistribute the wealth. This is the, one of the ones that across the various branches of Marxism, whether it's whether you're doing it in terms of race or you're doing uh, a hardcore feminism, um, they they get to something that looks like redistribution of wealth pretty quickly. When you ask them, what what do you want the world to actually look like? How should we change this? When we tear down a hierarchy, what are we going to replace it with? They get to give us money pretty quickly. And so the idea is that the people in the oppressor class need to have what they their ill-gotten gains taken away from them. And those need to be redistributed to the oppressed class. Um, it In more recent debates, that's been reparations for black people, even though none of those people were enslaved, none of them, right. almost none of them were through Jim Crow. Um, the idea is that because, or, and then on the other end, if if you're white, like you might have moved here from England like yesterday, but <laughs> right. you're the same color right. as the, the people in the oppressor class, therefore you're in the oppressor class, therefore you have to be have your wealth yeah, or what if like you are of mixed race? What if you are white and black? Then what do you do? I, I don't know. I, I suspect that if if reparations was ever seriously on the table, it would it would become a, a subject of rather fierce and angry debate yeah. because everyone would have their grievance. Yes, and and basically like grievance mongering is a really important part of Marxism. It, it's it's about finding new grievances in a lot of ways new ways that people are being oppressed mm -hmm. and to reorient society, reimagine society even more. Yeah. Um, and so basically like all of those things together, what, what they do is, is they form like the, the core tenets of Marxism and then they're applied in different areas. So the hardcore feminists are, are absolutely and pretty openly Marxist at this point. The, the critical race theorists who want reparations or racial equity like they're, they're doing Marxism. It's the same paradigm. Like it, the best way to understand it is to see Marxism as a way of seeing the world, like a worldview or a paradigm. Um, and then it can be applied across different areas. Uh, Bernie Sanders is an economic Marxist, like pretty openly, um, right. versus a lot of the, the people who are, who are just Marxist in other areas. A, a new one is uh, things like indigenous peoples need mm. reparations for justice or um, immigrants. They they call them undocumented immigrants, and that they're being they're basically being oppressed by people who think that they they should be allowed to have a country. Yeah, um, yeah, or like the trans trans movement, yeah. which is such a interesting one because what I I just read a really fascinating article about these trans activists 
you know, men identifying as women um, who basically harassed this actual biological woman to the point where, like, you know, she shut down her Twitter. She's possibly going to commit suicide, all this stuff. And it's just fascinating, right? Because the whole thing, like, in the feminist world, in the feminist hierarchies, the problem is the male oppressor. And now we have Mm -hmm. this trans situation where these (laughs) are male oppressors who are very actively harassing women but they actually right. are the oppressed ones. So it's a whole, yeah. you know, according to the Marxists. So what a mess. <laughs> yeah, the, the T is going to devour the other the other letters in the alphabet, uh, the alphabet soup mm-hmm. if, they, if, they, if they don't get pushed back, basically. Um, because you can't, there's no way to have like a, a meaningful theory of lesbianism or bisexuality or, or homosexual, like male homosexuality, if you don't understand what gender is. Right, right. I mean, it's amazing. Like, you could, like, I've seen these videos of conservative reporters, they just go to these liberal protests or liberal rallies or whatever, and they just ask them, what is a woman? And these people can't answer the question. They don't know what a woman is because they know, no, if they say, if they say, if they answer the question, they're either going to offend the transgenders. Or they're going to offend the feminists. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, they, they have to keep them both happy. That's why they just never answer the question. Stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be excluding someone, basically. And yep. Yep. diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is, the, the, is the key. That, and that's their tagline in many ways. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically the, the theory of Marxism is that you have these, you have these classes, you, you have a revolutionary ideology of overthrowing what, what has existed before, and they, they do a lot of history work to make sure that everyone understands who the historical villains are, which would be Christians, white people, men, straight cisgendered people. people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, straight white male. Yeah. And so those, those hierarchies have to be overthrown. There's the class consciousness and the false consciousness. That's why you're not really black if you don't vote for Biden. Mm, um, right. and, then, and then there's the redistribution of, of resources to try to produce equity. And I always wonder... How do these people think it's going to work out with the redistribution of wealth? Because if you have any amount of freedom in society, even if you were to take all everybody's wealth and you you actually did the thing and you and everybody has the exact same amount of money today, it's going to take like four days for <laughs> the people who are bad with money to spend it all, and for the people who are good with money to double it. Oh, dude, not and even four sudden, days, right? Like. four four hours like it's not there's no there's gonna be no yeah with time shipping right yeah yeah it's absolutely right it doesn't you could completely force everyone into the same Mm -hmm. tiny little box with the same tiny little rations and amount of money but you're totally right if you have any freedom at all which i guess maybe their goal would be eventually to do away with that to maintain the equality but you're right i mean yeah within a few hours the equality will be all messed up again right and the other thing that I think is important to, to keep in mind with with a Marxism conversation is that their unstated premise is that the choices individual people make can't matter. So, for example, like one of yeah. the, the most places this plays out is that if you have um, different racial groups having different amounts of wealth, they talk about the racial wealth gap. That's like a big discussion point on the Marxist left is that white people have more money than black people in the aggregate, like per capita in the United States. And that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean racism because Asians have a lot more money people than white people. Right. And like, and so the idea is that if one group is having better outcomes than another group, it must be 
that they're oppressing the other group or, or the other group is being held back by society. It's systemic racism that's holding them down and that it can't be that their individual choices matter or that their different different cultural values play out differently in some of these arenas. That, that can't be the issue. In the same way that if, if you have a, an occupation that's 99% male, that can't be because women don't just just don't want that job. It has to be because women are being discriminated against and prevented from getting that job. Right. Or they're being um, propagandized into a false consciousness that they aren't good enough to work there or something like that. And that was what, that was what the Google memo was about, if you remember, with James Moore. Right. He, he right. was basically talking about, well, hey, there are lots of really good reasons that we don't have this 50-50 split between men and women. And none of them have to do with oppression or discrimination or hatred or bigotry or sexism. They, they all just have to do with the fact that like some of these jobs are not jobs that re- women want in the same way. And if you understand psychology, like you understand that men are typically more interested in things and women are typically more interested in people. So jobs that are people heavy are going to be more, have more women and jobs that are thing heavy are going to have more men. And that sh- should be obvious, but it, it can't be to the Marxists. They have to believe that that must be sexism. And so yeah. that's, that's basically the paradigm. And that's how it's, that's basically how it's applied in various arenas. Awesome. That was a really, really good summary. Yeah, you basically covered all the the little nuances there. So you and I both agree that Marxism is fundamentally flawed on in multiple areas and very damaging to pretty much everything it touches, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but some yeah. some Christians argue that like the intentions, and not even just Christians, but you know, mostly who I talk about this with are Christians, and sometimes they argue that the intentions of Marxism are good. Um, Mm -hmm. what do you say about that? What would you say to them? You know, why do you think we should object to Marxism as Christians? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would say is that I I think it is often true that Marxists have good intentions. I don't think it's always true. I I think you can see pretty clearly from the way a lot of these people talk that they are using their Marxism, whether it's, um, it's systemic racism or white white supremacy, as, as they call it. It, it, in many cases, it's just a cover for their own hatred of other people. Yeah, um, I totally agree. If, if you're basically that it's it's become basically a way to cover up for if you're a black person and you just want to hate white people. Well, here's an academic reason you can do that, and that's <laughs> yeah. that's how it functions in a depressingly high number of cases. I wouldn't say that's the majority or anything, right? But, right. but it, it was there, and and the way that some of these people talk makes it pretty obvious that, that they just hate. They hate people in the oppressor class. But for, for the majority, there is a lot of good intentions going on. And a lot of these people think, if you think about it like really simplistically, if everyone just had enough and no one was in poverty, that does sound good. Like if you want to think about it in terms of platitudes, Marxism works. If, you, if you're just trying to have good intentions and implement them, you're like, well, this is a way to do that. And that can be what's going on there. But the thing that's important to keep keep in mind is that as the the saying goes the road to hell is paved with good intentions right and having good intentions does not prevent you from making a horrible awful disaster like you can really think that the uh vitamin c treatment you're you're on is gonna or or your wife is on is gonna keep her from dying of cancer but she needs to go to the hospital and get chemotherapy and if she doesn't she's gonna die and and that's the thing that that we have to keep in mind is we have we have a wealth of historical data. Marxism has been tried a bunch of times, 
and we know how it ends and it's always terrible and right. and there are famines like basically the only time there's been a famine in the industrialized developed world since the industrial revolution is because of communism they basically haven't happened otherwise and so that that's what i would say is that good intentions aren't good enough. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. That's a good point. And I would I would agree with like your earlier point too that I won't say that there aren't Marxists who have good intentions like you said I'm sure there are. Um but I think probably I would maybe think the majority of people who subscribe to Marxism are actually coming from kind of a vengeful place. It's kind of like mm-hmm. what you said. I think it's it's sort of an academic cover for hating certain classes of people, whether yeah. that's men, whether that's rich people, whether that's white people. So it would be more comforting to, for me to think that it was coming from a well-intentioned place. But the, the mm-hmm. more I interact with Marxists and the more I listen to influential Marxists talk about what they want and how they see the world... It seems right. like it's really born out of a very kind of power-hungry, controlling sort of impulse to make sure that no one is better than them. Right. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's kind of scary. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, a particularly awful mindset. And I think one other thing I notice about Marxists, maybe you see this or don't, but I, I feel like there's a real desire within Marxist movements to see people like pay like see people um, suffer for their supposed sin of being oppressors. I think they genuinely kind of want bad things to happen to those people. And that's one of the reasons why I think Marxism is so incompatible with Christianity, because like, I'm sure you probably feel this way too. I think Marxism is wrong and I think Marxists are wrong, but I truly do not want like their lives to be miserable or their property or their wealth or anything to be stripped from them. And I Mm -hmm. don't think I could say the same for people who really buy into that ideology. I think that they're kind of excited at the prospect of someone like me um, or, you know, like a rich white guy or something like losing what they have. They love that idea Mm -hmm. from my experience. Yeah. And I think that the, a little bit of the, the intellectual heritage is in play here because if you read Marx, he is, he's basically just uh, developing Rousseau and Rousseau, if you, recall is the intellectual godfather of the French Revolution. Mm. Um, and, and, and so I think the impulses are there because that's where, that's where this comes out of is the French Revolution famously had the reign of terror and they were guillotining people all over the place and having these type of show trials and and executions, like we, we, that's basically what cancel culture is in a lot of ways is that it's the, the guillotines, but, in a social setting, you've been socially guillotined. And yeah. and that those impulses don't come out of nowhere. They come from Rousseau, which is who Marx was, was pulling from. And, and so, yeah, I think you, you, you'd be right. There are a lot of people who, who just want the straight white men to suffer. And they don't, like, they don't care who gets hurt as long as they get the revolution. Um, and I, I definitely don't think a Christian can have anything to do with that. Yeah. I, I do think that there are... I think that this has been packaged well enough in many settings, though, that there are a lot of people who think that adopting critical race theory and like actually being compassionate toward black people is the same thing. Yeah, like that is a really common thing. I run into it all the time. And what what I would say is that because of how it's been packaged, they're pulling in a a fair number of well-meaning people. That's a good point. Marxism has been conflated with actual better impulses. And so people associate the two. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. 
Gotcha. So if a Christian were to say, you know, we've kind of touched on some reasons, but just your your basic answer to why should Christians object to Marxism? What would you say? I think the first thing is that the I think the Bible is incredibly hostile to the the idea of treating people as members of a class instead of treating them as individuals. And and especially the Bible is, is openly and, and directly contradicts the idea that you can punish one person for the sins of a completely different person. There, there's a whole chapter in Ezekiel actually about this, that the, the son shall not die for the sins of the father. And so we have, we have clear biblical revelation that you cannot take someone and make them the, the, the exemplar, the stand-in for their, their race or their sex or their class or, or their gender or whatever it is. You can't make that person be the, the person that get, gets punished for, for sins committed by a completely different person. Biblical justice is when someone does something wrong and harms another person, that person pays for his own sin and makes restitution to the particular person that he hurt. And, and a lot of this comes back to Thomas Sowell wrote a book called The Quest for Cosmic Justice. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, and in that, he talks about the fact that what, what liberalism wants is a, a sort of cosmic justice in a way that the, uh, they want a way for the, the wrongs of history to be righted and for past injustices to be corrected. And much of their activism and their philosophy is based on that. They, they, they want to be able to fix things in a, in a cosmic sense. And what that comes down to is he doesn't go there because soul's not a Christian. But what, what really liberalism is seeking is they are trying to have the second coming of Christ without Jesus. Mm. Like that's really what's going on here is that we all as human beings yearn for, for these great wrongs to be made right. We yearn for the past injustices to be corrected. But that's only going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back on his horse as a conquering king and he sits on the throne and he reigns that's the only way this is ever going to happen and to try to make that happen without jesus is idolatry that's a really really good way of thinking about it sort of this like from like the liberal mindset we're going to take this into our own hands we're going to somehow retroactively address all of this correctly Mm -hmm. and perfectly and set the stage for a utopia it's just, yeah. it's, it's a counterfeit, it's a counterfeit gospel. You know, it's sort of yeah. like almost, it's like the, almost the right vision, but totally devoid of Jesus. So yeah, a worthless one ultimately. And even secular writers have, like Andrew Sullivan has written about how um, Marxism has basically become its own religion, that the original sin is, is racism. I mean, goodness, the, the New York Times wrote a whole fake history project uh, about how <laughs> yeah, right. is, is the America's new founding. And, and that's the original sin. And, and they have their dependences by checking your privilege. And like, if you look through like, he, and he goes through all, all of the ways that, that they are very religious. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the best examples of this recently was if you heard about the uh, city councilman in New York city talking about Samaritan's purse Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he talks about these bigots coming into his city is that he thinks of New York City as basically a temple that has been defiled 
by the by the unwashed heathens on the outside. Yeah. And yeah. that's what he thinks Samaritan's first is, is that they're they're the unclean. And yeah. so they have come in and they have defiled his temple. And that's what happened. that's why they all of these campus leftists lose their minds when a conservative comes to their campus to speak. Because that's their temple. That's their sacred space. And it's been defiled by this person who who commits wrong things. And, and hate speech. And I would say, you know, what's really interesting is like, right, okay, so in Christianity, we know we're all sinners. We must be purified by the blood of Christ. And we have that option. We have the option of submitting to Christ and thus being forgiven of for our sins. But in leftism, you don't have that option. Like you, no. you are, you're, unless you completely and totally acquiesce to anything and everything that they want. And even then they probably still will not accept you, you know, but that that's right. like, there's, there's really, there's no redemption in no. the leftist version of their little fake redemption story. It doesn't exist. The, I would say there, there's one minor caveat. If you could possibly help a Democrat win an election, then we, we, they might forgive you temporarily. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a possibility. If you maybe if you got them some I, huge thing, because Joe Biden should have been canceled like forty times by now. I, I I told my wife last night about the the quote that he had about Obama that he's like this this nice, clean, articulate black man. Oh yeah, like. I mean, it's the most racist thing you've ever heard in your life. And he said this in 2007. It's not like this is from 1960 or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. He, and, and he's proof. Joe Biden has a list of of quotes like that a mile long. Yeah. But he's the Democratic nominee for, for president. So all of that is going to be forgiven in the short term. I'm sure they will... They, they will cancel him later, like after he's out of office. Right. And he's right. given them their sweet, sweet socialism. If he, or if he loses, <laughs> he might yeah. cancel sooner. But, but after he's out of office, they'll probably cancel him in the same way that like even Obama now is viewed as not having been liberal enough. As long as they see you as useful or exploitable, then maybe you can yeah. be in, you can be in the in group, but then farewell. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing to keep in mind here is that Marxism is, is a discourse of power and power is the object there's not like like theoretically equity is the object and that's the goal that that they're going for but but like honestly it's power power is the thing that like really motivates these people and it's the thing that they're seeking and yeah. the the ends will justify the means for these people and and, and biden is i think an incredible uh, demonstration of this that all of these people who were saying seeing all the praises of the Me Too movement and, and the principles of Believe All Women are just completely abandoning that now. And they're even like, gosh, I read this article, I think it was in New York Magazine, where the writer, the first line of the, is like, if Joe Biden boiled babies and ate them, I would still vote for him. Oh, I like, saw that's that. The first line of the article. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is that like, they, they have these principles that are very, very strictly enforced on the common people. But as soon as you get to the realm of government, all the rules are off. In the same way that in the communist society, like it's supposed to be equality, but when you get to the realm of government, all the rules are off and you can hoard all you want if you are in the communist party. You're right, that's super revealing. That's like lots and lots of control and regulation for the people who aren't at the top. But then yeah, these right. really restrictive rules are just lifted if it means you can get more power, or if it means you can right. be a means to an end. You mentioned the, uh, I think it's called like what, the 
1619 project, that sort of like fake history thing, which kind of lends itself to this next question. So one thing that's fairly easy to observe about Marxism, once you know what it is and how to identify it, is that they're really good at infiltrating just about like every kind of institution. Mm -hmm. Part of that is, you know, they're, like you mentioned, they're really into rewriting histories and creating these whole narratives with very specific villains and heroes. And there, there are even been successful in infiltrating the church in the United States. And so why mm-hmm. do you think that they are so good at this? Why are they able to get in and corrupt so many different, formerly probably well-functioning institutions in many cases? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would say is that this has is and has been their strategy. Um, like the, the first earlier Marxists, um, they, they were called the Frankfurt School. And they, they talked about the long march through the institutions is what they called it. And so it's always been the strategy that they would they would take over the media and they would take over the academy and they would take over the arts and they would use these things as basically propaganda tools for their revolution. Basically what happened was is that eventually the Marxists figured out that violent physical armed revolutions were not going to work out for them, that, that people love freedom too much to let communism just take over everywhere. Um, Marx really thought that that all the workers of the world were eventually going to unite. They were going to come together and overthrow the bourgeois and have this, this revolution and, and create these communist states. Like he thought that was going to happen. And basically the history of Marxism has been realizing that it wasn't going to happen. And so, and, and they would talk about false consciousness and the, that basically the uh, um, proletariat had been brainwashed effectively um, into acting against their interests. But what they realized was that they were going to have to be more subtle. And so they, they adopted this new strategy of, of the march of the institutions of taking over these various areas of media and using those to accomplish their agenda. And they've been, they've been incredibly successful at doing that. And I think one of the biggest ways they, they have been, they have gotten away with doing that is they, in some ways they've used our principles against us in that Americans genetic generically speaking, are big fans of free expression and we are, we're committed to free speech and we're committed to basically being tolerant of other people in, in, a, in a generic sense. And what, what has happened is that they, they started out by saying, we just want to be tolerated. We just want to have a, a seat at the table and like be able to make our arguments and have the exchange of ideas. Like that's how it started. And then as they've gained power, they've become increasingly, increasingly totalitarian and increasingly intolerant of other views. Right. And as soon, basically, as soon as they have the ability to enforce their views on other people, they do it. But basically, in many ways, they, they've taken advantage of our goodwill, and they've taken advantage of our naivete, I think, in, especially in the context of the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, Christians, gen- generally speaking, want to believe the best of other people. They want to, to be, the, the, the more common term now is to be charitable readers. And... <laughs> There, there's something to that. Like you should try to, you should try to be kind to others and, and treat them the way you would want to be treated and not automatically jump to the worst possible conclusion of whatever they're saying. And, and th- there's a lot of truth to that, but at the same time, like you have to be able to, to have a way of reading and, and listening to people where you're able to catch it. If someone is trying to, 
pulling over on you. Right. You and that's really discerning. the problem we have is that we're not doing that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think probably a big reason that we see Marxism successfully creeping into the church specifically is I feel like lots of American Christians, like what you said, you know, do generally want to believe the best and that's a good quality. Mm -hmm. They do want to, you know, listen and not write someone off uh, too soon. But I think a lot of American Christians buy into the idea that like passivity and niceness are some of the mm -hmm. highest Christian values. And those right. really aren't Christian values at all. <laughs> like, like, obviously being right. kind to people is important, but I think that's mm -hmm. a whole different area than the nice as it's currently understood today. Mm -hmm. And I think that because Christians by and large feel either like they should be passive and nice or they use that as an excuse to sort of keep themselves out of uncomfortable confrontations. I think that's a big part of the reason why we have the problem that we have because right. if people were bold enough to challenge Marxists, to push back, to poke the holes that you need to poke into their arguments, I don't think, you know, their, their ideas aren't very good. Like you said, we have mm -hmm. a whole wealth of data that shows us that it's right. not successful. It doesn't work, but people feel like instead of combating it, there's lots of virtue signaling around Marxist causes and kind of like even fueling it within the church. It's mm -hmm. kind of my observation. The other thing they do is they, they hijack clear, obvious historical injustices and historical crimes. And they try to pretend that what is happening now is just like those things. Mm -hmm. And they are absolutely not the same. Like that, that, that's basically like it's, they use really, really terrible analogies. So for example, if there's a, if there's a, a racial disequity in like there's this town, more black people got arrested than white people. Then they assume that that's racism and they, they compare it to Jim Crow. And if you say, well, no, what if like this isn't racism and like that's just how it worked out and no one was just trying to arrest black people unfairly. They say, oh, so you would have been, and they, they post pictures of people um, supporting Jim Crow, Crow laws or, or like in clan hoods or at lynchings or whatever. And they try to pretend that you're the same person as, as those people. We know which side you would have been on in this debate because you're saying this, because you won't go along with my Marxist program now. You obviously would have been against basic human rights for black people in the 1960s or in the 1850s. And, and that's, that's, I think, the, the weapon that they've used in many ways. Or in some, way, in, in some cases in the church, they use, they use historical guilt. So, so something to look out for. Anytime you, a Marxist wants to manipulate someone, they, they will use this phrase, with historical ties to. And so what this is is that if, if there's any history of any racism related to, like, for example, the Southern Baptist Convention does have a checkered racial past, admittedly. Um, but that was also a very long time ago, and they've turned away from that for a long time. The other thing I would point out with the Southern Baptist Convention is that back in the, the 60s, when Southern Baptists were, were really on, a, a long, on the wrong side of a lot of the civil rights issues, do you know who was running the show in the Southern Baptist Convention? All the liberals. All those people were liberal. Those were not inerrancy-believing, complementarian. They, they were not patriarchalist. Like, th this idea that, like, th these Southern Baptists who were on the wrong side of the civil rights marches were, like, these die-hard conservatives, it's just not true. They were, they were dyed-in-the-wool liberals to a man. 
the, the SBC had a conservative resurgence in the late 70s and early 80s to kick all those people out. Conservatives weren't running the show. They weren't in charge. And, yeah. and the idea that, like, there are historical ties. And that, that's the thing is that anytime the mainstream media wants to push around the SBC, they'll say, the SBC, which has a checkered racial past, and then they'll, they'll list a whole bunch of things that, that are admittedly bad, that also have nothing to do with anything that's happening right now. Right. And none and of with the people who are involved in those things have anything to do with this. And most yeah. of them are bad. You touched on this before. They have a real, they love, you know, it's funny. I feel like people who are really into Marxism love to talk about nuance, but they like mm-hmm. actually hate nuance <laughs> because if you look at any, like you said, like, um, the people involved in those injustices, like you said, you're going to find a lot of liberals. You're going to find yeah. a lot of people who are not the the heroes that they want the heroes to be or the villains that they want the villains to be. It's a lot right. more complicated than that. So, yeah, you mentioned some of this going on in the SBC. Um, are there any other ways that you've seen Marxist thought infiltrating um, your particular seminary or theological training? The, the big one that we should talk about first, as far as Marxism getting into the SBC, is is definitely Resolution 9. So Resolution 9 was a resolution that was passed at the um, the annual convention of the Southern Baptist Convention, and it it's basically a, a, a soft endorsement of critical race theory. Like they even mentioned critical race theory explicitly and say that it's a, it's a useful analytical tool. So basically what, what and they, they try to cover the tracks a little bit by saying, well, you know, it has to be subordinate to, to scripture. So basically what it is, is you can use Marxism all the way, every bit, all the Marxism you want, as long as you like have the caveat. And, and obviously this can't violate scripture. Like as long as you include that caveat, or if you try to find a Bible verse and twist it into meaning that we should implement your Marxist agenda. As long as you have a Bible verse, then you're good. That's basically what the the, the, uh, the resolution says. And the resolution effectively is a green light to any uh, professor who wants to teach Marxism, wants to teach critical race theory. And this is relevant because we, we, we know that there are professors at Southern Baptist seminaries who are, who are teaching critical race theory ideas, um, teaching that paradigm, who are encouraging Christians who embrace Marxist ideas in, in, the, in the area of race and uh, effectively what they call it is racial reconciliation, which is a misnomer as if there ever was one, honestly. If you're going to do racial reconciliation, you, it's not one, one person who looks like someone who did something bad to another person a long time ago. It's not that person engaging in an endless self-flagellation and saying, I am so bad, I am so bad forever, I'm in the oppressor class, we have mistreated these people. Uh, that's not what racial reconciliation looks like. Racial reconciliation would be if a particular person or a particular group did something, uh, a, committed a particular sin to a particular person in a group and then reconciled with that person. That's what racial reconciliation is. Right. This is what they're proposing is not that. And it's amazing too, like how brazen they are. Um, one of the Southern Baptist professors even talked about how he was basically teaching James Cone's ideas. If you're not familiar with James Cone, he was one of the basically the father of liberation theology in many ways, which is uh, uh, Marxism applied to theology in many ways. Um, they they t- they try to take the Exodus narrative and and mean that God is always on the the side of the oppressed. Um, and James Cone, you can you can do a quick Google search for his 
writings and like we talked about at the beginning if marxism functions as a a cover for just hatred of other people and racism james Cone was a hardcore racist against white people just yeah. white people and so he created this liberation theology system and, and these marxist ideas to, to, to basically justify to himself that it was okay for him to hate white people. And what needs to happen like in, in Christian circles is we should reject all of that and we should tell everyone who hates another person on account of the race that they need to repent right now. And that's not, that's not what happens in these situations. There's no expectation that if you're in the oppressed class that you, could, that you would ever repent. There's no, they basically would say that you're blaming the victim if you think that someone in the oppressed class has sinned. And a lot of, like, the unstated assumption behind a lot of these arguments is that someone who has, like, let's say they even actually are oppressed, like someone who has been sinned again, that doesn't make them innocent. Like, those right. things are not the same. Having been sinned again this doesn't make you innocent. It doesn't make you, it doesn't resolve you of any guilt for, for sins you may have committed in response to the sin. And, and we can we can be compassionate and say, well, it's understandable in some ways that, that someone who has been horrifically sinned against would perhaps be bitter, or they would lash out, or they would do something destructive in reaction. But it's still sin, and they need to repent of that too. And in the Marxist paradigm, all the repentance goes one way. Um, it's always the oppressor class repenting to the oppressed class, and- And it's never enough. Judging their repentance and, and saying if it's good enough or not. Yeah, and I've never, I've never heard of an instance where it ever was good enough. Yeah. <laughs> kind of seems to suggest, like we were saying, it's more of a power thing than anything else. Because <laughs> in theory, if it's about sort of actual reconciliation, there are plenty of self-flagellating white folks who buy yeah. into this, who are doing absolutely everything they can to prove that they are, you know, the worst people ever and please forgive yeah. them. And it's, it's not good enough. And that should be a right. clue to all the other neutral observers that what you're witnessing is not actually about what they're saying it's about. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how quickly whenever Marxists say that they want to have, they, they always say, we need to have a national conversation on race. And as soon as anyone tries to have that conversation, if they're white, they're immediately told to shut up. <laughs> yep. And that's pretty much a, a, a good summary. In a nutshell, that's what's going on. Here. Yeah. Well, and, that's the that is the Marxist liberal argument flowchart. It's we need to talk about this. And if anybody who doesn't fully completely agree with them tries to say anything, the flowchart immediately goes to be quiet. <laughs> Just that's the next the next step in the argument. When I said when I said we need to talk about this. I meant you need to shut up and let me talk exactly. and let me laugh for you and browbeat you into submission. Yep. And then is. if you do what I want and give me your money, then yep. maybe we'll yep. be okay until I get me money again and then I'll probably browbeat you some more. Yeah, um, that's it. That's the summary. <laughs> so another uh, prominent way that Marxism has infiltrated um, evangelicalism in the Southern Baptist Convention is if you've heard of the Gospel Coalition, yeah. the Gospel yeah. Coalition is one of the biggest Christian websites in the world, and it's it's very much a like an example of the long march of the institutions. That the Gospel Coalition was created by a bunch of pretty conservative people for the purpose of promoting conservative theology, and they they would write like really like normal Christian stuff of like you should go to church and like pastors here's how to take good care of your flock and here's some some theology you can do or here's why you should be a complementarian or a calvinist or whatever it is um and they would they would have the like mo for for most of its life it was basically just a resource for pastors and 
and Christians to get a good take on, on what's going on in the world or what they should believe and what, what particular passages the Bible mean. And that's how it started out. And they, they spent probably 10 years basically building up the Gospel Coalition and like establishing this reputation. And then over the last few, several years, they, the Gospel Coalition has now become an openly political organization um, that basically promotes Marxist ideologies across, they, they promote feminism, they, they promote um, the, the Revoice Conference, if you've heard of that. Um, they, they promote, many of the speakers are, are published on there and are, are part of the Gospel Coalition, basically. Um, so it, it's feminism, it's critical race theory, it's revoice theology. Yeah, and uh, that's, and, and so the Gospel Coalition really is ground zero. They're the tip of the spear in many ways for the incursion of Marxism into evangelical, evangelical world and, and the SBC. And one of, one of the most prominent writers and authors on there is the B. Yanyabwile. Um, and so Thibidion Abile, uh, he's a, a pretty big deal in, in the SBC and the evangelical world because, like, he's hooked up with the Nine Marks organization, if you've heard of them. Um, he speaks at the T4G conferences, which is one of the biggest conferences in the world. They have, like, 12,000 people every couple of years in Louisville. So T4G is a big deal. He, he spoke at basically all of them until he wasn't at this past one, um, but I think he's been at basically all the others. Um, and so he, he writes a blog on the Gospel Coalition's website, and he says he says crazy things. I mean, like I, like I, I want I want to try to be I don't I don't want to sound like I'm being too hard on him, but like he has an article where he says that the title of the article is "We Await Repentance for the Murder of Martin Luther King," and he he basically says at the end of the article, the last couple paragraphs, that every white person in America was complicit in the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. That yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> There's no other way to say that. That's just that's crazy. That's just crazy. Like, what about the people who were like in the civil rights marches who were white? Like, what about uh, or or what about the people who like just had nothing to do with it or didn't know what was going on? <laughs> but, it, but it's, it's a, the the Marxist oppressor oppressed dichotomy. And if you're white, then you must be guilty in some way. You bear class guilt. And and he's basically trying to theologize Marxism. And, and say that that basically my dad killed Martin Luther King because he was alive at the time and in possession of white skin. And 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 nothing like and the crazy thing is that like he can say the craziest stuff on his blog and nothing happens to him. Nobody's like, whoa, you're getting a little a little out there. Actually, maybe you should pull that article down. Or <laughs> no, nothing happened. Like everyone just kind of went on like everything was normal. Or or even in in 2016, like he turned his blog into basically advertising space for the Hillary Clinton campaign. He wrote an article called uh, Pat, Evangelical Leaders Tell Us to Vote for Clinton. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just openly endorsing Hillary Clinton, like on his blog, writing articles that pastors should be telling their congregants to vote for her. The, the theological progression of Marxism is that you basically start out, you typically start out being like a sort of soft feminist and once you get to, to the woke part, where, where you, you start embracing the, the critical race theory ideas, you, you get into egalitarianism next, which is women pastors, which the BD's already there. And then you uh, the, the next step is usually revoice theology. And then once you get to revoice theology, you, you go to homosexuality. Because basically what you're doing is you're, you're working through the Marxist paradigm of all, all of the different oppressor-oppressed dichotomies. And it, it doesn't take a lot of work to get from white people are the oppressor category, black people are the oppressed category, to men are oppressors, women are oppressed, and just start applying that. And that starts to drive your theology. 
Yeah, more and more. yeah, that's a really good point. Once you start thinking in those terms, you just see it everywhere. You sort of convince yourself it's in everything. Right. And so basically what's what's happened with Fabini is he's just gotten increasingly more liberal. And that's the theological progression is that you, you, you like, what, the biggest reason I think Christians should reject Marxism, if we want a bottom line, is that people who go, who get into Marxism, almost always leave the faith. They just stop being Christians. Because once you get so far out there theologically and politically, the, the thing that, that's driving the train, the, the, the reason you get out of bed in the morning at that point is political activism. And yeah. at some point you realize, I don't need to go to the church to do political activism. I don't really need God to do political activism. And at that point you leave the faith. And that's that's been the progression. We've seen so many people walk down this road. And, and so that's basically how the theological progression works out. In terms of the like effects, what, what Marxism turns into is whenever you see these ideas applied, they are always to the end of helping Democrats win elections. <laughs> and, so, yeah. uh, and that's why I say like it's not an accident that Thabiti's blog became advertising space for the Hillary Clinton campaign. That's not that that's not something like this isn't like a, a, a bug, it's a feature. Like the, the point of Marxism is to help Democrats win elections it, it, like on, on an instrumental level. And and, and because of the pursuit the point of Marxism is to pursue power. And so you win you get power by winning elections and the Democrats are the Marxist party. And so if you're gonna be a good Marxist, or if you're if you believe in critical race theory, if you believe in systemic racism, if you believe in all of these things, you're going to end up advocating and doing political activism to help Democrats win. Now, for for more conservative people, what this turns into, like for example, Russell Moore is a good example. Russell Moore didn't like endorse Hillary in 2016 like the media on did, but he he basically everything he said, like for a whole year basically, was that Trump is the worst person in the entire world, and everyone who who supports him is also the worst person, and they they they're, they're basically. They don't care about black people, and they don't care about immigrants, and they don't care about X, Y, poor people, or whoever it is. So what happens is that people like Russell Moore, who don't want to be as openly liberal, they will just only punch one direction. All of their criticism goes towards Trump and goes towards the Republican Party. And that's basically what the gospel coalition has become now. I, I, like, I can't say that like all of their authors are openly endorsing Joe Biden this year, but I can say that, that they're, when they get political, they only ever punch to the right. They, they're only ever attacking Trump and his supporters. Yeah. The, the, and there's when all this discussion about how like supposedly evangelicals are hypocrites for supporting Trump, but nobody ever asked the question if if progressive evangelicals are hypocrites for supporting Biden or Hillary. Right. Exactly. And, and there's never like none of the, the Gospel Coalition will never publish an article of like are Christians who support Biden in sin? Like that's not going to happen. But 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 there are going to be all these accusations against people to the right and that's basically how the game is played and and this is what this is one another way that marxists have gotten in is that basically we so many christians draw the line at well have they openly endorsed hillary clinton if, and, and if they haven't then we assume they're okay but the fact is that like mostly people don't understand politics and there are so many political ads like in, in campaigns where you'll have a, a campaign like the, the biden campaign or whatever we'll put on an ad and in nowhere in the ad is Joe Biden's name. Joe Biden is not even mentioned. That ad does not know that Joe Biden exists. But the whole ad is about Trump and how Trump is terrible. And that's basically what these 
a lot of these evangelical elites do is they provide free negative advertising mm-hmm. for these networks. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like the yeah. virtue signaling kind of like, you know, I think maybe not necessarily within the gospel coalition, but just lots of Christians mm-hmm. in general, they, they get a little virtue signal dopamine rush criticizing Trump because that's mm-hmm. pretty easy. That's pretty popular. They're not going to get a lot of pushback. It might even make them feel kind of special amongst their progressive friends. But right. you're right on the flip side, if they criticize rightly, <laughs> if they criticize uh, Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or something, then it's going to get real, it's going to be a lot less comfortable, a lot less fun, and they're unwilling to do it. So it's that little, that virtue yeah. signally boost for a lot of them. It's amazing that like these people will, will, will think that they're speaking prophetically. That's the, the term they use, is that they're speaking prophetically. They're acting like a prophet. The thing is, though, that being a prophet is not going to a group of people and telling them exactly what they want to hear. That's actually the opposite of being a prophet. They think they're being prophetic by going to liberal audiences and telling liberal audiences what they want to hear. Like, it's amazing. You'll hear these these moderate and liberal evangelicals and and Southern Baptists say that Russell Moore is just this, this prophetic, courageous man because he goes to the New York Times and he writes articles saying everything you think about evangelicals is true. They really are as awful as you think they are. And that's where the article is. And, and like the idea that like there's any, it takes him any amount of courage to write that is crazy. He's telling liberal audiences that conservatives are terrible and providing them with confirmation lines. That, that's what he's doing. Right. And the idea that like there's any amount of prophetic speech going on there is crazy. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like I don't know how these people can say these things without laughing. Like, how do you say that with a straight face? Because it's so obviously ridiculous that telling people what you want to hear is brave. Here's another observation I've made that should give every Marxist, like, pause. Every, or even Marxist adjacent, right? Maybe you don't even realize that you're a Marxist. You're just, like, a nice, squishy little liberal who likes Marxists. But, okay, so the fact that they can infiltrate anything so successfully, to my in my mind, undermines their whole narrative about things, right? So they believe there's all these oppressive, unfair hierarchies that yeah. don't let marginalized or under underprivileged groups or, you know, whatever the little language they're right. using, that they don't give them any power. Well, if that was true, they wouldn't be able to slowly move up the ranks of yeah. the gospel co- coalition. Right. They wouldn't be able to, you know, rise to the top of academia. So obviously, the whole what it all their whole story hinged on all this prejudice and oppression that doesn't even exist by their own by by us being able to observe their ascent to power. So to me, when I look right. at that, I'm like, why are there not more people who are just question the sheer basic narrative? Because these people have tons of power. <laughs> like yeah. they wouldn't be able to have it if what they were saying was true in the right. list. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing uh, to speak to your point really quick. I think the the thing about what you're talking about with with their their narrative is that their belief that America is white supremacist or that we're a racist country or the SBC is horrible or whatever it is, like whatever the narrative is, it's not subject to evidence. They didn't like go out and do an investigation and determine that this was the case. They started with that conclusion and they looked for evidence to support it. Yeah. Um, that's a- and, 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 and that's how, that's why they never changed their minds. They never, like you'll never see a Marxist be like, well, I had thought that this place was riddled with right supremacy, but it turns out we're pretty good. Like that, that's never happened. Yeah. There's never been a time where they're like, actually, 
I looked for systemic racism, didn't find it. So I guess it's not. Happy day. That's not a thing. No, yeah, you're right. They just come up with a million other different narratives. It's like, well, it's it's being covered up because of internal, internalized misogyny. (laughs) It's so invisible that no one can find it. Yes, yes. I know it's funny. I should make like a Marxist jar. It could just be a jar of like funny Marxist words and pull them all out and say them. Yeah. It would like sort of sound like a real part of the theory. <laughs> that's how that's how messed up it is. So let's get down to the nitty gritties here because we're we, yeah. we should wrap this up. We've I think we've we've covered why Marxism is not good. Yeah. What are the best most practical ways that Christians should be combating Marxism in the church. Yeah, so I have I have a couple of things. The first thing is just to we, we need to have an attitude of willingness to criticize people that we like and that we are connected with in some way. Because a lot of the ways that the Marxism perpetuates itself is by basically like someone a seminary hires a Marxist professor and basically there's the expectation at that seminary that none of the other professors will point out that hey, we just hired a Marxist, this is bad. Like that, that basically the expectation of uh, collegiality is the problem in many cases. That It's just viewed as divisive or like they get, you get Titus 3 thrown at you quickly that like warn of, uh, Paul tells Titus, warn a divisive man and if uh, if you won't repent, basically like have nothing to do with them. Um, I think it's Titus 3.10. And that's, that's how basically the attitude that we, we basically have toward whistleblowers, that's the attitude we have in the Christian community toward anyone who says, hey, I know this guy is like in the inner circle, but maybe there's a problem here. And that's, that's, that's just not, it's not, we're not allowed, you're not allowed to say that. Um, there's a professor at Southern Seminary who has been saying that this week, and he is getting, he's getting ripped up and down. Um, he was recently fired from Southern Seminary. Um, wow. Russell Fuller is his name. And, uh, what was his and, name? Say that one more time. His name is Russell Fuller. Russell, Russell um, he, Fuller. He Hebrew. Supposedly he was fired for budgetary reasons, but that doesn't that excuse doesn't really make sense because they the he was like one of their most senior faculty members, and he wrote the textbook that the other professors use for Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Like he's like it's not just like he's the the best most qualified professor they have in in Hebrew, and they didn't fire like the other Hebrew professors. They fired him. It's that like he's very obviously way ahead of everyone else in terms of qualifications, and and a lot. I really think a lot of the reason that he was fired was because of he 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 actually tried to raise his think about some of these professors in, in faculty meetings, and so he wasn't basically viewed as a team player, and so they got rid of them. But that so that whole good old boys club network idea that has to go. Like we've got to get rid of that if we're if we're going to stop this, if we're going to win. We we have to be willing to take on people who seem really nice and who are in the inner circle or attached to the, inner, the institution that we work to, we work for or we support or this denominational arm. We, we have to be willing to say, I know you're one of us in, in some sense, but this thing you're doing is not acceptable. We have to be willing to do that. Uh, the second thing I would say is that there just needs to be actual consequences for being a Marxist. <laughs> like, and, and, and so like this sounds crude, but like, People are, Marxism is going to continue spreading until we kill it, until we deal with it, until there are actual reason, like consequences for adopting these ideas. If a if a seminary professor hires a liberal professor, he needs to it needs to be a scandal. Like he needs to pay a price for it. Like we need to make these people think twice 
before they they start taking us down this liberal path and until we can start making there be actual consequences for for doing marxism there it's going to keep happening in the same way that like any other kind of sin that's that's continually tolerated is going to grow on a kind of a slightly unrelated note we've my husband and I, we both, we, t- we attend PC USA church, uh, not really? on purpose. <laughs> yeah, well, we kind of fell into it. It seemed like a church that wasn't PC USA. We thought it was PCA, but then the longer we kept going, we we're like, oh yeah, there's mischief afoot. <laughs> and okay. so we're, it is PC USA, but not in a really strong sense. Like not in a, I wouldn't say like if you polled the people in that church, it's probably like. 60% liberal, 40% conservative, or maybe flipped. Uh, I don't know. Uh. It's hard to say. But they have let my husband preach a few times, and we just both made the decision when he preached, just just preach the messages that they absolutely need to hear. Preach, yeah. you know, explicit scriptures on sin, on justice, on all on the actual bodily resurrection, like, you know, the things that they're yeah. going to combat, they're going to push against. The wrath of God. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wrath of God. Did you um, hear about the In Christ Alone controversy? Uh-uh, the- I haven't. Yeah. So, you, you know, the In Christ Alone, My Hope Is Found song? Yeah. Yeah. So the PCUSA wanted to put that in their hymnal or the hymn book or whatever, and they reached out to the Gettys who wrote the song and asked if they could change one of the lyrics because it says, and on that cross as Jesus, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's what the song says. And they didn't want to sing that because they don't believe the wrath of God was satisfied. Wow. Yeah. So see, they, uh, they, the love of God was magnified. That's what uh, they wanted to say, uh, sing uh, instead. And the Gettys were like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> Based based gettys (laughs) well no see like ours isn't quite on that level like there are people who are at that level but like the leadership of the church isn't on that level basically it probably should be a pca church and then all the liberals would leave um but you know somewhere along the way something happened but we have just found you know we realize there there are some social consequences to jeff getting up there and preaching you know, bold stuff right out of the Bible, but it's just like, we also realize like it's, it's a way we can, we can try to minister. It's a way that we can try to infiltrate. I do think maybe if there's a willingness for, for more Christians who do have an orthodox understanding of the Bible to go in there and shake things up sometimes, I I would think that maybe some cool things could come of that. Mm. We've been trying it. (laughs) It's kind of a social experiment. We're like, well, we'll see what happens. So we've definitely made waves. Can't say that. I doubt we've converted any Marxists, but at the very least, we've made the more conservative people in the congregation aware of the fact that there is a divide in their church and right. they should probably, you know, be thinking about what that means. So, yeah, just good. just my two cents there. Um, and then, yeah, just to end this, why don't we give people some good some good uh, role models, good people to follow? What which Christian leaders and institutions are responding most effectively to this issue? You think? Yeah. Um, so there is a a document called the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. Um, you can just Google the statement on social justice and the gospel to find it. Uh, there's been about 12,000 uh, signers so far, Christian leaders. Um, and some of the, the the people who are behind that are people like John MacArthur, uh, Vadi Bakum is involved with that, Tom Askell in the SBC. Um, and so there are a number of uh, there are a number of prominent leaders who um, R.C. Sproul had died before it was written, but his wife signed. Um, so a lot of the older guard, like strong conservative leaders are are involved with that um 
And and I would encourage anyone who's concerned about Marxism, use you can use the statement as a litmus test. Like if someone is saying, I am against critical race theory, I'm against Marxism, but they won't sign the statement, you should not trust them. Don't don't take their word for it. If they won't sign the statement, then they, they're not really against Marxism. They're okay. Like they may not be an out and out Marxist, but maybe they're they're one of those accommodationist types who are, yeah. are perfectly fine with Marxism taking over as long as they get to they get their piece, basically. Right. There's a lot of people like that. And so that would be the first thing I would say is use this, sign the statement on social justice, use use the statement as a litmus test, put it in front of people and say, do you agree with this or not? The, uh, so with that, obviously, any um, John MacArthur, um, he has uh, the Master's University, Master's Seminary, is sadly, I think, one of the few seminaries that I can still recommend in good conscience because of the, the leftward turn that so many seminaries have taken. I highly recommend the Master's. Um, so beyond MacArthur, there's also Body Bakum, who I think is one of the best preachers in the world right now. Yeah, if you guys really know Body Bakum, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. Just go to YouTube and type in Body Bakum, Sissified, Needy Jesus. Just type that in. It's incredible. It's so good. <laughs> Sounds um, good. It really is. It's fantastic. Um, so Tom Askell, if you're if you're in the SBC, if you're a Southern Baptist, you need to know Tom Askell and the Founders Ministries because Founders Ministries is probably the last hope for the SBC. If if they don't like if if the SBC is going to be saved, it's probably going to happen through them. They released a a documentary recently called By What Standard exposing a lot of the things that are going on within the denomination. So I'd highly recommend them. There aren't a whole lot of others. That, like there are a lot of people trying to ride the fence here. There's a lot of people who are accommodationists who are willing to go along to get along on this issue. Um, and then there's a lot of people in the Marxist camp. But yeah, if they if they sign the statement, they're safe. You can probably trust them. Um, so I, I view that as, as a good starting place. I guess the other thing I'll say is that I'm happy to help people too. Like if people are like, hey, what what should I like? Should I trust this person? Like, I, I'm happy to. I've had a lot of people send me Facebook messages of like, hey, what church should I go to? I live in Louisville. Oh, awesome. I live in Louisville, and so I I've helped people find good churches. Uh, if you need a, a church in Indy, come to mine. If yeah. uh, and, and uh, that, that's the other thing I would say is that like I would encourage people who aren't as plugged in on these issues to like find someone who you know is conservative on on the topic of Marxism and just get them to uh, weigh in on whoever you're reading or, or listening to because there's probably something they know that you don't know. Because mm-hmm. um, the, the problem with, and th- this is the, the recurring problem with Marxists is that many of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. Some of them have very convincing sheep's clothing. It's really good. Others are are, are less are less uh, well-hidden. Kavidian Lake, for example, saying that my dad killed Martin Luther King. He's not really hiding the ball, but a lot of them are. And so that's what I would, I would say is that like we need to be really careful dis- discerning readers um and and ultimately like you're probably not gonna want to trust people who don't want to sign the social justice statement awesome thank you tim this is all very insightful it's really fun to talk to someone who dislikes marxism as strongly as i do <laughs> I, don't, I don't meet that many people who do so <laughs> that's fun um i'm i'm optimistic i'm hopeful that you know maybe in our lifetimes we can really i would love to destroy it um i recognize what an enormous challenge that would be but you know mm-hmm. keeping keeping hope i feel like it's a conversation that more and more people are 
wanting to have. So I think that's mm-hmm. a good sign. Um, one of the big yeah. reasons that Ian and I even started Stasios in the first place is because we want to encourage Christians to think about these things and equip Christians mm-hmm. to think about these things and respond accordingly. So thank you for being one of those Christians fighting the good fight. Oh, one more thing before we uh, sign off. Yeah. Everyone should read Carmen's article about Christianity Today on the stream. It's really good. Oh, thank uh, you. On another organization that has basically been um, infiltrated by Marxists, and that would be Christianity Today. So everyone go read that. Um, one of her links is actually to uh, a couple of liberal professors at a Southern Baptist seminary basically proffering critical race theory. So. Thank uh, you. Thanks for the shout out. I appreciate that. I need to go look at that and see if it's, they tagged Christianity Today and it's kind of like my secret dream that Christianity Today is going to write back and we can, we can have a dialogue. I'm sure they won't, but <laughs> thank you for encouraging people to do that. That's on the stream guys, which I'm now a new occasional contributor for them. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Tim. This was really fun. Here we go some of y'all might know this, and some of y'all don't. Some of y'all might get with this, and some of y'all won't. But listen, let me clear my throat.